what we do and the titles we are given and the roles we are given, they are not our own skin. I think there is this really discomforting, unsettling, energizing, exciting, and life-changing role in this time of retirement, you know, <laughs> next phase of figuring out what does our own skin look like? Seniority Authority exists to answer your questions on aging. The world has changed dramatically in a generation with more retirees than ever before, living longer with more choices. If you're an older adult or have an older adult in your life, where do you go to begin to understand those choices? I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, with over a decade of work experience in retirement communities. I can track down the right people to answer your questions. So send your questions on aging to me, and together, let's get smarter about growing older. Today, we are going to delve into the very stuff of life, meaning and purpose. If you have found purpose in your work or in raising children or in growing an organization, and then you retire, where do you find meaning and purpose in your next chapter? If you, if you have a plan as to how your life unfolds and then get an unexpected curveball, how do you move forward with that? For today's generation of retirees, these are key questions because today's generation is living longer than any prior generation. Yet there's no roadmap for this. Plenty of books tell you how to save retirement and how to handle things financially, but what about the most important piece, which is why you get up in the morning? Few talk about how to find your purpose once you get to retirement. Stay tuned for today's podcast, which will talk about meaning and purpose and how you can find meaning and purpose in retirement. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. Now, let's hear from today's guest. For many retirees, it can be a challenge to step off the treadmill of work onto what? As poet Mary Oliver puts it, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? Now that one phase of life has been accomplished, what is next? So much of what is called retirement planning is really focused on finances, which are critical, but not the entire picture of what our life can encompass. Yet a meaningful life requires some thoughtful consideration of what it is you want to accomplish. Our next guest is going to help guide us through a way to look differently at meaning and purpose as we grow older. Today, I am thrilled that we are talking with Kathy Anderson, 
a transformational leader and thinker who has led several organizations through change and evolution. A former CEO for two large multi-site nonprofits serving older adults, Kathy has dedicated her career to the front line, innovating, adapting, and serving thousands of older adults. A nationally recognized speaker and visionary leader, Kathy has been active nationally in coaching and mentoring brand new CEOs across the country and has chaired many different nonprofits focused on aging in her volunteer time. A graduate of Westminster College with an MS in education from Duquesne University, Kathy is a passionate advocate for older adults and those who serve them. But even more, she's a passionate advocate for leadership, curiosity, constant learning, and growth at every phase of life. It is my great pleasure to know and to have worked with Kathy in the past and to welcome you today to the program. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for joining us. So we know that today's generation of retirees are different than any prior generation because they're living longer than ever before and are retired for a longer period of time. So for many, this is a challenge. Who am I if I am no longer my title? If I'm no longer the teacher or the nurse or the mother or the accountant or the manager, do I still matter if I have meetings to it, if I don't have meetings to attend or emails to respond to or calls to answer? And more deeply, how do I find purpose in a new way now that I have the time to dedicate to whatever I would like? And these are not simply practical questions. They really drive at the heart of why we are here and what is our reason to get up in the morning. You've had the great privilege of shepherding so many lives at Goodwin House and in your past career and have had a front row seat to how many people, how many people have negotiated the challenges and changes of aging. I am eager for you to share your insight with our audience today. So diving right in, from your experience, Kathy, should you have a plan right off the bat for retirement? Well, um, Kathleen, thank you for allowing me to be um, on this podcast. And thank you for the provocative questions that you have asked that I have to say in my um, first year post-retirement have um, really been a little edgy and uncomfortable. <laughs> so um, I'm learning, I'm learning as we speak. So should you have a plan? Um, you know, I, I think yes and no. Um, yes, in that it would be just stupid to um, think about going into the next phase of one's life, whether that is a partnership or a house or a new job or retirement, without some sense of what that might um, imply. Um, but um, having made reasonable plans 
what I have learned, and I really give tribute to two friends, um, Larry Minix and Pat Sprigg. Larry Minix was um, CEO of Leading Age um, um, USA. And um, he said to me when he was thinking about retiring, um, people say I shouldn't retire unless I have the next chapter, at least the headline written. And my answer to him was, um, why don't you finish what you've begun? And have you ever been bored a day in your life, which you hadn't? And could you trust that when you are in this next phase, what you are to be will become apparent to you? And Pat Sprigg um, then gave me advice. And she said, don't write the next book until you finish this one. So I think that um, my answer, Kathleen, would be a combination of you know, doing what as responsible human beings we are supposed to do, looking at any next important phase in our life. And I'm a, I'm a firstborn, I'm a type A. My <laughs> sisters will tell you that, you know, I, I want an A. Um, I'm a big sister. I was a CEO. You think you should control the future and you can't, um, but you can, you can plan for it and prepare for it. But then there is a piece where you need to allow yourself to be taken um, in a new way by what um, by what comes next and by what unfolds. So yes and no. I love that answer, especially for um, I mirror you in that I am <laughs> also oldest and only daughter and uh, type A and um, what I like to call control enthusiast. Control enthusiast. Oh, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna be using that. Thank you. <laughs> Replacement phrase. Exactly <laughs> for alpha sister. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and I think that's good. That's that's really good advice. So it's not black or white. It's do a little of both. No. Yes. Um. You know what I think really can be an issue for so many people is that some people. The loss of identity can be a significant challenge in retirement. So many people, even without intentionally realizing it, they do identify themselves by what they do. And I know there's the, we're not a human being, we're a human doing. Um, but how do you recommend that people address that shift in thinking about themselves? and? And how do they how do they hold on to their sense of self when they are in a different place? Yeah. Well, I um, so I'm uh, 13, 14 months into um, stepping down from a CEO role, and had been a CEO for uh, 25 long, years. Long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot longer than some of our listeners may have lived. And um, I, I would have to humbly and a little bit embarrassingly say, I thought that the shift of identity, I mean, I, I, I thought that I did not define myself by my role and by my title and by all of the, and you know, I was in the nonprofit sector. So um, by all of the accoutrements that um, even in the nonprofit sector came with my title, but I was wrong. 
I was wrong. Um, and um, I think that the shift um, in retirement from, and, and for me, you know, for me, because I was in the workforce and I had, you know, the most amazing um, career and, 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 you know, such a blessing of a job, jobs. Um, and and I, I just want to be so clear that I realized that I've got um, a lot of challenges that are, that would be gifts, you know, to anybody else. But um, I, I really, I, I really have been a little, um, not unsettled, but I've been a little bemused by how much I thought my title didn't define who I was and how much, if I'm honest, <laughs> it did. And, um, and so to your question, I think that whether it was mother, caregiver, you know, a particular position, um, when we, when, when we either we choose or we're asked um, to shed that title and move into a new space, it really is a, it's exciting. I mean, it's got all of the opportunity stuff, right? Danger and risk and opportunity. And um, so I would say, I thought that all the stuff about title and role and authority and position really wouldn't be my issues. And I think they are probably pretty human issues. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think this is an adjustment that people have to anticipate. And I don't know a more humble and servant leader than you. And so uh, if you say it's hard, it's definitely hard. If you've been doing something like being a CEO for 25 years and you're not, that does take adjustment. And, and, you know, it takes adjustment in terms of how um, people who perhaps used to work for you or, you know, you worked with them and for them, um, how, because they move on, right? I and mean, if you did your job right, they, um, you, you want them not to need you. You <laughs> want them to soar um, regardless of you moving on. And so I, I do think, I mean, and I'm a really big fan. I'm, my master's was in educational psychology and I'm a really big fan of the developmental um, sequence um, principles of Maslow and Erickson. And, you know, you want people, um, if, if you're a good leader, to move um, to greater and greater degrees of independent health and functioning, um, but you also want them to need you. And so I, I think it's, um, it's important to be humble. It's it's important to be um, comical. And um, I think about a TED talk, and you can list this on your, you know, your website, but it's about the styrofoam cup and about this guy that was a, an important person. And he thought that it was he, you know, who had the expertise to offer, and he did. And when he had this title, um, when he spoke at all these important conferences, he was always given um, a, a taxi a good hotel 
And before he had to speak, he was given really good coffee in a ceramic cup. And, and there's this one, it's a Simon Sinek um, TED Talk. And of course, he's so wonderful. But the point is, you know, it wasn't about you. And the guy is invited to speak back and he's given a styrofoam cup and, you know, please um, get your own. And um, it's, uh, it's a humbling and a wonderful and kind of an eye-opening experience. Um, and, you know, Barbara Bunt, can I, do I sense time to say one other thing? Yeah, yeah, I love oh. that. Thank you for sharing that styrofoam yeah. cup story. That well, is one I'll, of my I'll, favorites. You know, I'll, I'll give you the link. But, you know, an, another person, I, I read a lot and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm taught and made more human and more, more whole by people who've been on a journey before me. And there's this wonderful, wonderful author, and she's also an Episcopal priest, but she would not define herself that way, um, named Barbara Brown Taylor. And we might talk later about this wonderful, poignant question, she says, which is what is saving your life right now. But I was reading her this afternoon in preparation for our um, conversation. And she said, she, she stepped back from being a priest. So you, you got to, you know, be into that lingo. But she said, I now have higher regard than ever for clergy who are able to wear their mantles without mistaking the fabric for their own skin. Mm. And I just thought, yeah, wow. Like, what, what we do and the titles we are given and the roles we are given, they are not our own skin. So to your identity question, I think there is this really discomforting, unsettling, energizing, exciting, and life-changing role in this time of retirement, you know, mm -hmm. next phase of figuring out what does our own skin look like? What's it mean to live within that? I love that. That is such a great insight. Thank you. That's exactly what we're getting at, that deeper yeah, yeah, level. Yeah. <laughs> Not the level that you have worked toward and earned, but yeah. that level that is your skin. Right. Um, right. When, when you're working, you know, the work is right in front of you. When you're retired, it takes different thinking about how you contribute your gifts, how where you contribute your gifts, and how do you find that skin, that skin, that purpose. Um, what is your recommendation for people to try to hang up that mantle and mm -hmm. find out what is there in their own skin? What, how do they start that process? Yeah. Because when you're at work, it's automatic. You come in, there's meetings, there's things to do, or you're a caretaker and you know what you need to do. When the work is not so omnipresent in your life, mm -hmm. how do you think differently about contributing your gifts? Yeah. And I have to say, I I did give you the real hardball questions on this, yeah. well, <laughs> on this you know, podcast. I, Others have an easier time of it. I think I think that's a really wonderful question. Um, and again, an uncomfortable question, but I, I, I have to say, Kathleen, you know, when you phrased this for me, I thought we, we don't, we don't, you know, we, we, when we're working um, and, 
I don't know whether, I, I actually don't think it matters whether we have a job where, you know, that we think the world depends upon us and the world will just collapse, you know, if we don't do our job right or something happens to us. Um, it, it, every one of us, no matter what our work, you know, we have the demands of our work and we have the routine and the discipline of our work. And I hadn't thought about it that way until you phrased the question that way. You know, we have things to do, we have appointments to make, we have tasks that other people um, uh, uh, expect that we will accomplish. And then you come into this time where that's not true. And so again, saying that I'm early in this time, I am, I'm a kindergartner, right? <laughs> in retirement. Okay. But I, I would say that I look as I always do to what do people that I respect and from whom I learn, how are they handling it? And I would say, you know, if I were giving advice, I would say, be yourself and be true to yourself. And don't let anybody else tell you that what is right for them is necessarily right for you. So I have friends, dear friends, who are ahead of me in this journey of retirement um, who are handling it in really different ways. Um, you know, one, one guy who has moved into, he had them all set up before retirement, you know, um, roles for him and his wife in various nonprofit organizations. I mean, still making a difference in the world through his and her gifts as leaders on um, matters that matter. Um, I have people who are colleagues who are nurses, um, a, a man and uh, two women who have um, in one way or another, uh, they, they were CEOs, gone back to, maybe, maybe that's not the right word, moved more into this piece that defined them at the beginning of their careers and which they are now able to exercise in a way that is unfettered with responsibilities of running an organization or setting strategy or some national organization. Um, I have a couple people who just moved with a passion into consulting. And I have not, I, I dabbled in consulting and I think I could just do really, really well um, <laughs> in that, but it doesn't seem it doesn't seem true to me. And so for me, I've decided to just be present to myself and to the people that are around me. Um, and some of them are surprising, you know, people who, who, um, uh, poke into the fabric of my everyday life, and particularly in this time of COVID, um, people who I think just want a safe place um, to talk about what they're facing and how they're leading, and you know how how do you lead in this in this awkward time? And for me, um, and and I'm lucky, I'm lucky, you know, not to have to move immediately into consulting or to a second career of some sort. But for me. Um, I, I feel Barbara Ann Taylor again, she said, she thinks her job right now is to figure out what it means to be fully human. And I feel given 
you know, all the blessings, all the blessings and the gifts that I had in this extraordinary career, um, that my task right now is to figure out what it means to be fully human and then to give and to be generous and to create from that space. And I have to say, I don't know exactly what it's going to be. But I feel really confident. I feel really confident that um, Frederick Beekner was a guy who's a, a Presbyterian, so a person of faith, um, a Christian guy. And I read uh, Jewish people as much as Christian people. But, um, but he's, he wrote this wonderful little book called Wishful Thinking. And he had um, an alf alphabet. And so for every word in the alphabet, like for B, it was Beekner. Um, but for every uh, letter in the alphabet, he chose a word. And he just did this, this tiny, tiny little book. It's marvelous. And for V, he chose vocation, to be called. And, you know, to be called has not a thing to do with working, just like Having a title has nothing to do with being a leader. You know, we bring ourselves to our roles, to our titles. So he says about vocation, and I've been thinking a lot about that, that to be called to, to live into our purpose, our reason for being here is to stand at that sacred intersection where the world's deep hunger and our own deep joy meet. And... I personally feel like the developmental task for this time is for me to just sit in that place and see what unfolds. So my answer to you would be, if that's my answer um, for the people who I think these two amazing friends, and I hope you'll interview them um, for your for your podcast, who are changing in San Francisco the way San Francisco hospital emergency rooms treat older adults. Um, and, and they're working with some major philanthropic groups and they're gonna change the world for the way people 60 years of age and older, 60 to 110 are served in San Francisco's emergency rooms. And I'm so proud of them, but that's not what I'm asked to do. So both are valid. I love how confidently you say, I am waiting to be called and I am <laughs> becoming fully human. You can, I can just see it is, it is an accomplishment for you as a type A driven. Yeah. What's next? Back person. What you say about control. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to say I am sitting with the uncertainty. I am reading. I'm thinking I'm being present. And mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. marvelous. Mm -hmm. That's marvelous because that mm -hmm. is clearly New for you, you know. Yeah, not new in terms of deep thought, but new in terms of not having that next thing ready. And right. I think that I think and, that's and, and I guess if if there was a word of wisdom here, it would be to each person who's listening. You know, our own truth, our own truth wants to be told, and we don't need to. You know, we don't need somebody else to tell us. We just need to be present to it. And um, and, and we need to give it the time and the space um, to unfold. I, I was thinking about the, you know, the sculptors. And I, I'm not. I wish I were, but I'm not. You know, and, and the thing that we always learn about sculptors, that, um, that, they're, that they're carving, carving, carving the stone. But they have this sense that what wants to be shown is within the stone. 
and that part of their gift is to listen and to be present and certainly to have the expertise, you know, to chisel um, until it's told. But, but I do think there is a deep, deep wisdom inside each of us. And it's maybe easier than we think um, to listen to it. And now you have the space to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned COVID. And mm. right now with COVID especially, yeah. as well as challenges that our country is facing with political divide, we're all feeling more vulnerable. Um, it's a very challenging time. Do you have recommendations on how to manage this? So the other place that my mind went when you talked about COVID and the political environment was the... Um, in, in my world of healthcare and public mm -hmm. health, mortality and morbidity. Yeah. And, and, and they, you know, they also um, show their, um, you know, they, they, they show their faces um, in, in um, as we get older, as our bodies get older and um, in this time. And, you know, I think that vulnerability is, is really difficult. Um, you know, again, I, I'm an educator by training and I'm a learner by, you know, by, by avocation. <laughs> that's right, by who I'm made to be. And so, um, you know, I think about, <laughs> you'll laugh, but I think about Ronald Heifetz, who two decades ago, maybe two and a half, wrote this book called Leadership Without Easy Answers. And he talked about, um, you know, leadership and organizations and societies and how do we lead when, you know, stuff is tough. But if we just put our mind to the task, we can use the skills that have been proven over decades or centuries of use and, you know, be disciplined and we can figure it out. But that's not what the book is about. Um, leadership without easy answers, and I think it maybe it could be called life without easy answers, yeah. is when there aren't easy answers. And when, and, and you talked about this, Kathleen, when you and I were talking about this podcast, and even in your intro, that you know, there's, there's no playbook, right? There's no playbook um, for retirement. There's no playbook for what happens when one ceases to be employed, whether that is your choice or somebody else's choice, whether it happens at 50 or 70 or 90. There's no playbook for how we get older and how we handle that period from now until the day when our life transitions into something else. And so Heifetz talks about the tools that are required for what he calls adaptive learning um, opportunities. And covid our country, the United States of America, in November 2020, um, retirement for me and others um, in this time, I think are all adaptive opportunities. And what I think he says is, and forgive me if I get a little um, emotional about this, I think we have to go to our knees, you know, and, and I, I don't mean, and I am a person of faith, but I don't mean um, in saying that in prayer, although I do think that's indicated. I think I mean in humility. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, when you talk about vulnerability, I 
Um, and of course, you know, I had some of these questions and our wonderful conversation beforehand. And I thought about the times personally and, and also career-wise, but personally when I had been most vulnerable. And it's when, it's when magic carpet is ripped out underneath you, right? right. And you're no right. longer floating and there's no beautiful carpet there and there's no color. And what happens? Well, what happens is sometimes, you know, we can't go lower. And so we can only go up and we can touch the ground and we can, we can find out that there's strength there and there's sustenance there and there's goodness there and that the ground on which we stand is the place from which we grow. And it has everything we need, no matter what happens to sustain us and to help us grow. And I would say, and, and I haven't, you know, I haven't faced the loss of my own life or at this point, the loss of most people in my family, but I will. Um, and I have faced, however, some terrible, terrible things that I thought I wouldn't come through. And what I learned is that if one is honest about what's going through, what one is going through, that um, you become accessible to each other in a way that is simply not possible without being vulnerable and without feeling pain. And so I have to say for a country, COVID, for the uncertainties of life, um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I think that we are more than we think we are. Mm -hmm. I think that, as Julian of Norwich said, all shall be well, all shall be well, all shall be well. Doesn't mean it'll be exactly as we'd like to script it for you and me, who are controllers, right. but all shall be well. And I think that we shall meet along the way the most amazing fellow adventurers and we will experience and tell the most amazing of tales and that sounds a little and that's not really me but I really do believe that we don't have to be afraid that's wonderful and I know when we were talking earlier one key component you said is when we are feeling vulnerable yeah <laughs> And yeah. to sit in that vulnerability and to open up our ears, not to close our minds. You know, you're so right. I was I was thinking about that this afternoon, Kathleen, and I remember when I was in this this um, uh, mentioned previously terrible, terrible time, and this uh, priest guy that I thought you know had wisdom. He said, "All I can say." is to be present and to wait. And I thought, well, if that, <laughs> no is, the most, if that is the most ridiculous advice I ever heard. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes we just need to stop and we need to stop talking and we need to stop controlling. We need to stop writing or trying to write the story. And we need to see what stories are being written all around us that um, can instruct us and can make our lives different. And I, I know you're going to ask about this, but, you know, I, I, back to Barbara Brown Taylor, I've really learned that 
advice uh, it, it certainly is appreciated, but I think people who are able to ask in the time of vulnerability, not to tell, but to raise questions that open us up instead of shutting us down. And I learned once that there are two types of currency in life, and one is the currency of hope, and one is the currency of fear. And fear, and, and sometimes you need that because it can be used in dangerous situations. It can protect us. It can define and direct our path, but it closes us down. It narrows, it narrows the path forward. Um, um, the currency of hope, it, um, it opens us up and the right questions open us up. And to vulnerability in this particular time, you know, we... There's so many words, there's so much noise, there's so much pain on all fronts. And I sometimes think we just need to sit and we need to think, what are the questions? And one of the questions that this person I love, Barbara Brown Taylor, um, has asked is, what is saving your life right now? And so in times of vulnerability and pain, and our country's um, uh, challenges, which you know are unique to this time, but our country's been around for a couple hundred years, and yeah. we, we will survive. Um, but what's saving our life right now? You know, what are the strengths that we can name and hang on to? I love that. That went a little. I I, I love that, and and it goes with your message of understanding the question and not. Necessary. I think part of what we've been talking about today is being okay with not having a prescripted answer, a schedule of what you're going to do, but being patient and uh, being comfortable with loss of control, listening and getting deeper and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and, and then learning by asking questions. And, and, and learning from asking people that we might never have requested wisdom from before. Mm -hmm. I think there is, um, you know, there is such possibility in our diversity and our diverse perspectives. We just got to sit, we just got to sit around that fire um, hopefully with like a glass of wine or champagne since, <laughs> since I do believe in those together. <laughs> And uh, there's a, an interesting book called Unexpected Teachers that talks about that, uh, like how yeah. you learn from experiences that you think are the worst possible experiences mm -hmm. in your life. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. think leading and thinking about questions and how to frame that really does right. inform this, uh, this particular time in our country. Right. right. But, you know, we're being intentional. So in everything we're talking about, we're not being passive. We're being pretty aggressive and pretty active, even in our waiting, even in our presence, even in our quiet. Um, it is, you know, I, I think I would just like to say that it's, um, it's not a couch sitter. It's not, um, it's not a cop-out. It's not passive. It's not, you know, taking that hall pass. It's completely engaging with life and saying, bring it on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I may not like it, but grab it, bring it on. And I'm glad you made that distinction between 
it is intentional and it is an, an, an action. It's not just waiting. Mm -hmm. um, we, this has been a fabulous conversation. Uh, we have, I have just one last question, which is what final piece of advice would you give to our listeners who are um, getting themselves ready for retirement or in a different chapter in life? What other, what final advice would you give to folks that are just starting to think about that journey or who may be in it, but are struggling? Well, the struggles are so valid, right? And um, we all struggle. And if we're not struggling right now, we will. So it, struggling is, you know, it's, it's universal. It's universal. And so um, we should just all recognize that. And I recognize that sometimes, you know, to your question, we, we enter a community that is different than the community that we realized was present to us before. And I do think that social media, email and all of that, it just, you know, it makes um, so many resources and people available to each other that weren't available um, in, you know, say 10, 15, 20 years ago. I, I think, I think it's, um, it's, it's marvelous. I guess I would say, you know, don't be afraid. That's that I'd start there. Don't be stupid. You know, do, do, what, you, do what you need to do. <laughs> do what you need to do. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And then keep on doing it. Um, you know, be, be disciplined. Um, I would say don't settle. Don't settle. Um, you know, that that time. And, and so I worked on behalf of and for and with older adults. And. I'll be 70 in December and, you know, so a big deal, like I'm announcing it. Um, but, but, um, but so what I know is that bodies change and what I would say with regard to don't settle would be, we can't, I mean, we, we can do our best to be healthy, right? We can do our best to be healthy and active and fit, but we just don't know, you know, what, what our bodies will do. But um, our bodies are not the only thing. So we should just, I believe, we should just not settle. And, and we don't know what, you know, financially will happen. We don't know what happened with our families. So I am essentially, you know, by faith and by persuasion, a hopeful, optimistic person. And so don't settle means my fourth piece, which is like grab life, grab life by the horns. And um just ride it for all your worth um, and realize that this time, this new time is a time that not everybody gets given. Not everybody gets given this time. And if you're alive and you're listening, you know, you're given this time. It might only be for today. It might be for this month. It might be for this year. But you know, it might be for the next 25 or 30 or 35 years. Who knows? You know, some of us may live to be 120. I'm sort of aiming for 99. <laughs> uh, but, but, but anyway, you know, to to just grab, grab life. There's, you started with this Mary Oliver poem, and there's another Mary Oliver poem where she ends with, I don't want to end this life, you know, like basically not having experienced it. I want to have been a bride to amazement. I want to have been a bridegroom to everything that was possible. And 
again, that's a little ethereal, but I think that attitude that says, step back, step back from whatever's going on and look, you know, look at what is given to us. Look at the world, look at the people who surround us and see, really see, and then find what makes our own joy. And our own joy, I believe, is going to be what also contributes to the world's joy. So that's what I would say. But come back and ask in three years from now. <laughs> I love that because that is really, that, that speaks to my heart. I, I meet people who are discouraged about how old they are. And I want them to be joyful that they are here and that they are this age and uh, that there is so much still to be done in life. So I love, mm. I love your summary. I love your closing with a Mary Oliver poem. Uh, this has been a joy. This has been absolute joy uh, to have you have a conversation with us on the podcast. Kathy, thank you so much. Um, I learned a lot and I know a lot of listeners and a lot of our audience is going to benefit from your words and your optimism and your hope. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. That's our show for today. Did it spark a question? If so, send us your questions at senioritythority.org and we'll track down the answer. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, let's get smarter about growing older.